Howdy, folks. Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner non-stop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round-trip Super Skyway Tour. Hollywood, 1939. Welcome to the WDW Reflections Podcasts with your hosts, Dewey, Ron, and Tony. Here, we love to talk about the Walt Disney World Resort, the way we remember it, how it's changed, and why we still enjoy visiting the most magical place on Earth. We're not experts, but we want to share our unique experiences and memories with you. You may learn some facts you never knew before, and you may return to some of your own memories of the Walt Disney World Resort and we'd love to share these memories together. So come with us on a podcast journey as we reflect on the WDW Reflections Podcast. Please stand clear of the doors. Reflections. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the WDW Reflections Podcast, your unofficial guide through Disney World memories and their connections to the parks we know and love today. I'm one of your hosts, Dewey, and this is episode number six. With me today are my podcast travel buddies, Ron and Tony. What's going on, Ron? Hey, it's good to be here again. Having so much fun just um, talking Disney with you guys and hope uh, all our listeners are enjoying it as well, as much as we are. At least half as much as us, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least half. Yeah, all right. Awesome, Ron. Good to have you here, buddy. How about you, Tony? What's going on today? I'm doing pretty good today, Dewey, and uh, I'm grateful that we have listeners and, and people who are watching our videos, and I hope they continue to do so. Absolutely. Uh, listen, we started this because we thought it would be fun, and it's it, it you know as we see people begin to listen and watch the videos and stuff, uh, it, it really is, makes it even more fun. So uh, we do definitely want to thank you, the listener or the viewer, if you're watching us on YouTube. Thanks for being here. We we're having a ton of fun, and as we begin to interact with you guys, it makes it even better. So we appreciate y'all coming around and, and listening and watching. I suppose we should let everybody know right off the bat that they should contact us through WDW Reflections Podcast, available on all social media so far, as well as through uh, our YouTube and, uh, and other Audible pages. Absolutely. Uh, I know when you guys watch and listen, it seems like this is a gigantic production, but it's actually just the three of us guys doing this. So if you get a response from uh, from a message you send us or an email or something, it's one of us. So uh, we don't have a, a gigantic team of, uh, you know, assistants and things. It's really us while answering. So please send us emails, send us messages, and we will definitely get back to you. So that's awesome, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for jumping in and and giving us our, our, our welcomes here. So today we're going to continue with our favorite Disney attraction series. In week one, we visited Vintage Epcot Center and visited my favorite attraction of all time, the now extinct World of Motion. Last week, we took a ride with Ron in his all-time favorite attraction, Mission Space, also at Epcot Center. This week, we're going to experience Tony's favorite attraction of all time, the original Star Tours. So we're going to be jumping out of Epcot Center finally and headed over to the MGM Studios, the Disney MGM Studios from way back when, opening in 1989. 
And Tony is going to take us on some of his, his first memories of Star Tours and give us all the details. So, Tony, it's all yours, buddy. Take it away. Okay, all the details is right, Dewey. And I hope that if you uh, would like to chime in or let me know that you have something to add to this, you can let me know as I'm saying this, because doing this research was a lot of fun in order to uh, remember what this ride was about. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to jumping into this. I'll, uh, I'll raise my hand as if you're the teacher and I'm in that the class. <laughs> you can call on me. I'll be here. Here's a throwback. I'll be like, I won't be like Horseshack on Mr. Carter. Like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I won't do that. I'll, I'll raise my hand quietly and you can call on me. And, and any of you who don't, know, who don't know who that is should Google it and, and watch that. Yes. Us old fellas know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of y'all younger folks, maybe not. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so, you know, picking my favorite ride in all of Walt Disney World wasn't as easy as it sounds, because even though I have specific uh, favorites in each of the parks, um, I have things that I could say that I love about uh, rides in the Magic Kingdom, like Pirates of the Caribbean or Spaceship Earth at Epcot. But ultimately, I chose my favorite based on the amount of times that I've ridden on it over the years how much of a must-do attraction it was for me every time I went on a Disney trip, and also how much enjoyment it brought me. And for those of you who have been following us for the past couple of weeks, I think you know that my favorite attraction of all time has to be the original Star Tours. And today, I'm here to tell you why. Um, first of all, a little bit of a backstory to the ride. Star Tours was inspired by George Lucas's Star Wars movies, which at the time the ride was created were the most popular movies of all time. And as a side note, if you'd like to hear the story of how I came to know and love Star Wars in the 1970s, on my personal YouTube page, I have a three-part documentary that, that talks about that and, and the history that I have with the Star Wars trilogy uh, as a whole. So uh, I'll provide a link to that a little bit later on, or you can check it out in the comments section. Um, but as far as the ride itself, Star Tours actually didn't start out being about Star Wars. We learned some of this information recently through a special on Disney+. Plus. Disney was seeking a new way to bring modern movie elements into its theme parks in order to attract new audiences. And initially they were building a ride based upon their 1979 Star Wars ripoff movie uh, called The Black Hole. And due to the financial and critical failure of that movie, that idea was shelved until Imagineer Tony Baxter came up with the idea to enlist the aid of George Lucas, who had been working with Disney on Captain EO on, uh, at the time. Uh, to come in and see if they can create a Star Wars theme attraction, the, the very first one of its kind. And it was actually the first intellectual property to be brought onto Disney that was not specifically a Disney related thing. Uh, the initial ideas that were molded around by Baxter and Imagineer Tom Fitzgerald and Lucas's own industrial light and magic team were led also by uh, Dennis Murin, who was the special effects wizard from all of uh, Lucas's movies. And they were going to try to do something that was more coaster based at first, uh, a, a high speed roller coaster that would have a choose your own ending to it. And that idea was abandoned when George Lucas happened to be in the Disney offices and, and saw some 
photos and some artwork at the Disney Studios, which depicted the use of a new motion simulator technology that was being used to train astronauts and pilots at the time. And uh, the imagination started to flow between the two companies. So instead of just feeling the thrill of riding yet another roller coaster, the ride would literally take patrons into the world of the original Star Wars movies by syncing newly created space footage with the movements of the motion simulator and wrapping it all around a high-speed intergalactic adventure that would give the audience the sensation that they had traveled to a galaxy far, far away. The attraction opened first in Disneyland in California on January 9th, 1987, with a star-studded premiere that featured the appearances of the original Star Wars characters, and some of them were dancing their way through an interpretation of the Star Wars theme. It, uh, there's a great footage of that in that special, leading the way for George Lucas and Michael Eisner, the Disney president at the time, to cut the opening day ribbon with a special effects laser. I, I think they were trying for a lightsaber effect, but they kind of failed miserably on that one. During its opening, Disneyland stayed open for three consecutive days in order to have the anxious park attendees have a chance to write it and write it again. Hey, I, the, awesome stuff so far, Tony. I just wanted to pipe in. I recently watched a video of that opening ceremony where they use that laser. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've seen it a few times. Every time I see it, I want to bang my head against the wall because <laughs> uh, Michael Eisner says CP3O. Oh, or yeah. Something. Like he, yeah. he missed. He, oh, no. like, yeah. Come on, Michael. Got you got to at least get the names right. And the bad part is he's standing right there. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like 3PO's like, really? It's 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 hilarious. So I just wanted to say that it make, makes me laugh and it makes me cringe all at the same time. I'm like, Michael Eisner is opening a Star Wars ride and doesn't even know the name of the characters. You're that killing was his, me. Uh, his John Travolta moment when he screwed up that name that one time. <laughs> and awesome stuff. For the people who don't know, actually, uh, that is Anthony Daniels inside of that C-3PO outfit. He talks about that uh, event in his recently released biography. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a fun uh, story he's got about the opening day ceremony and what it was like to do uh, Star Tours in, in a book called I Am C-3PO, which I would hold up if I had it in front of me, but I don't at the moment. Um, the ride actually premiered after Disneyland in Tokyo Disneyland, believe it or not, before making its way over to Walt Disney World on December 15th, 1989. And it was one of the prime attractions that were featured at Disney's new at the time theme park, Disney MGM Studios in Orlando. And although the original attraction in Disneyland was featured as a ride in Tomorrowland and, and had a spacey feeling to it with a, a large size X-wing in the waiting area, the Disney World attraction was keeping in theme with the new theme park and had it set in a studio setting. And it featured a life-size scale replica of an AT-AT walker or an Imperial walker in the midst of its attack on the Ewok planet on the fourth moon of Yavin as seen in 1983's Return of the Jedi. The forest line scene was posed just outside a studio looking building. And at the time, Disney MGM Studios saw itself as a working studio slash theme park. And so they, they tried to base all of their attractions based on a look behind the scenes at a movie. So once you got into the queue area for the ride and, and you'd look up at the mechanical monster from behind, you became aware that it was just the set piece. It was, it was flat on the backside. It was, uh, once you made your way further in the queue, you'd see that the trees that were in front of you were also just flat set pieces uh, that were just set up 
to make it seem as if you were in an out-of-world adventure. The thrills of the ride began immediately upon entering the Endor Bunker. The echoes of a tourist TV channel surround your senses, and you were met with a lineup of screens offering voyages to various exotic locations around the galaxy. We quickly learned that Star Tours is a sort of space travel agency, promising exciting trips to planets that were well known by Star Wars fans at the time, such as Tatooine, Hoth, and the prime destination, Endor, the site of the climactic battle in The Return of the Jedi, and home of the furry little spear-wielding teddy bears known as Ewoks. At the end of the queue, you beheld one of the great wonders of the early days of MGM Studios, and that was the live appearance of C-3PO and R2-D2, the lovable droids who were now brought magically to life in front of you and were berating each other as they always had in the films. These animatronic figures were actual robots of, well, robots, and their movements were closely matched to their appearance in the films. R2-D2, just what do you think you're doing? Get back to work before they deactivate you. Yes, I think they would. C-3PO, who is voiced by Anthony Daniels, who portrayed him in all of the Star Wars movies from 1977 to present day, introduces us to the Star Speeder 3000, one of the most, quote, reliable transports ever, with the ability to hit high speeds of nearly one billion light years. But as C-3PO states to R2-D2, If this transport is the best, then why are we always repairing it? Like Anthony Daniels says in his uh, biography, that he was concerned at first that the movements of C-3PO would be too human-like if it was done animatronically. So he, he insisted that he oversee how 3PO looks and, and that when he first walked into the attraction and saw 3PO staring back at him, it was an out-of-this-world experience because he, he couldn't believe that he was seeing exactly what he'd created being recreated in front of him. As we pass R2 and 3PO, we're led into a maintenance area where dozens of other droids adorn the dimly lit corridors, sometimes addressing the audience, sometimes experiencing planned breakdowns, and sometimes just looking, well, amazing. And in the early days, well, there were long waits to get onto this ride, so it was kind of a fun way of keeping the audience entertained while they're still in line and you're not so much thinking about the fact that it's going to take you an hour to get into this ride you're actually looking around at the different things going on about you the robots spoke with you or they would uh, perform little little skits amongst each other unless you went on on the fast pass at the time just avoided all of that and went through it all right as we made our way into the next room your anticipation started to grow you would start to smell the hydraulics and feel a uh, new air conditioning that was wafting in from the ride terminal itself, an impressively convincing hallway that gives one the sensation that they were indeed preparing to take off for a ride into space. As you get assigned a spot online to wait in front of a set of hydraulic doors, you're given a flight crew instruction by an intergalactic stewardess who reminds you to store your carry-on, not to take flash photos or smoke while on board. Well, the kind of detail that this ride went into to make this realistic is exhibited with that because we we see these uh, television screens show up 
that show short comical movie clips that feature characters like Chewbacca and Admiral Akbar and an Ewok boarding and being told you can't take the photos, you can't smoke, you can't do this kind of thing. And uh, they buckle up along with the passengers to prepare to take the flight. And I, I love that waiting area there because it created a sense of suspense as you stood there waiting for the arrival of your star speeder uh, to the docking station. And you'd be able to watch it on a, on a closed circuit camera that was set up right above the doors. And as you're standing there waiting and wondering when you're going to ride, you're, you're watching for the shuttles to come through uh, as you hear announcements going on as if it was a real thing. But upon hearing the famous chimes, Star Tours is ready to take you on an exciting trip to the moons of Endor. You know, what's funny is I'm sure that they planned on from the beginning for you to pick your destination. But it's kind of odd that, that we're all just going to Endor, whether we chose to go there or not. <laughs> As the doors slide open, you hear the rush of John Williams' powerful Star Wars theme blasting. And you try to ignore the departure of the previous speeder occupants before you. Uh, as they close and you realize you're trapped inside this closed capsule, you're also introduced first on screen to your pilot, a small mechanical RX-24 droid who's known as Captain Rex, who we learn is about to make his first trip into space along with us. The window shields open up in front of us and Rex transforms from being on the screen to being an actual animatronic figure that's seated right in front of us. And he was voiced at the time, and I think he still is, by Paul Rubens, who is more famously known as Pee Wee Herman, with his slightly sped up voice. R2, light speed to Endor! Rex starts to take off too soon and goes the wrong way as the riders immediately feel the capsule rumble as it lurches to and fro, instantly providing the sensation of falling through a chasm as Rex clumsily leads the ship through a docking bay out into space and stating, I meant to do that. The sound of John Williams' score blasts and accompanies the rough and tumble journey as it makes its way into hyperspace, entirely missing the Endor moon we meant to visit and instead crashing head on into a comet. The crash causes unbelievable turbulence as the ship rattles and shakes its way through a gigantic crystal, only to be met by the pull of a tractor beam being emitted by a nearby star destroyer. Narrowly escaping the pull, we realize we are in the midst of a great space battle, presumably the one from Return of the Jedi, as we're met with confused images of rebel pilots on the view screen who ask, Star Tours, what are you doing here? There's a battle going on, they say. We're then thrown right into the heat of this Star War, as we find ourselves literally in the midst of the well-known TIE Fighter battle scene from the original Star Wars movie. And then, inexplicably facing a Death Star as we ride through the trenches into a scene that was recreated exactly from the movie by ILM. Only this time, we feel each bump, lurch, crash, dip, and blast. This is the moment that Star Wars fans had been dreaming about since the original movie opened back in 1977. To be able to see and experience the Death Star Trench firsthand and witness the destruction of the ultimate weapon just in time to go back into hyperspace and head back into the base that we'd started at. Except this time, we might not make it. Rex's horrible flying skills are leading us directly towards a terrible full-on collision with a space freighter which fortunately zips out of the way just in time for the Star Speeder 3000 to come in for a safe 
hard landing, much to the dismay of the flight crew seen through the windows. Sorry, folks. I'm sure to do better next time. It was my first flight, and I'm still getting used to my programming. Hey! Hey! You know, throughout this turbulent journey, I rarely wrote it without hearing audible gasps of delight and horror and thrill from the audience around me. And quite often the ride would end with a round of applause and, and, be, and everybody would have the immediate need to just rush right out and go back on again, as I did a couple of times. Uh, that is, if your stomach could take it, it's not for the weak uh, stomach or the uh, weak hearted because the, the ride itself is very jumpy and bumpy and, and pretty turbulent. And upon exiting the attraction, similar to what Dewey was speaking about with, um, with World of Motion, uh, uh, you are led into another of Disney's infamous tourist shops. Albeit this one was designed to resemble uh, something from the Star Wars galaxy you just experienced. In the early years of the attraction, there was a caged Darth Vader and a stormtrooper mannequin that would leer at you menacingly when you got to the end of the corridor, just about as just as you were about to make the turn into the store itself. They looked like uh, they were captured and stuffed and put there in presenta presentation. So maybe that's why they got rid of them. But this area has changed a lot over the years and the store itself changed. It, it started life as something called Endor Vendors and in keeping the theme with the forest moon motif. And it sold a, a whole lot of wonderful souvenirs related to the ride as well as Star Wars toys and clothes and knickknacks. And I don't know if I should share it here. You guys can tell me, do you've seen it? I once got during my first ride there uh, back in 1991, I bought this very colorful, puffy painted shirt that says Star Tours on it. And uh, I look at it and, and wonder what I was thinking about when I bought that thing. It's really kind of disgusting to look at. But at the time it was like, wow, Star Tours is written on something. I've got to wear that. It looks exotic and weird. Yeah. Uh, it, they had a lot of different you know, I guess you could say the stuff with the Star Tours logo and stuff on it. And I mean, it's not your fault, Tony. Those puffy shirts were a thing in the 90s. It's not <laughs> your fault. That was uh, that was popular. But yeah, I mean, Star Tours had, you know, if, if you think about it in the 70s and 80s, Star Wars merchandise was everywhere. It was. And then when the movies, they stopped making the movies after 1983, it was hard to find Star Wars merchandise. Definitely and, was. And I know you're a big Star Wars super fan. I'm, I'm the same way. So that span between, say, 83, 83. I guess 85 is when they yeah. kind of stopped making the figures and things like that. So between 85 and, like you're saying, 91, when you started riding the, the, the attraction and stuff, you really couldn't find Star Wars merchandise. So to walk into indoor vendors at that time and find something with, Darth Vader or Star Tours or whatever, it, as a Star Wars super fan, you were just in heaven. It was like, oh my gosh, I could buy Star Wars stuff. And and they had, you know, Endor Vendors is a pretty good size store. And they had Star Tours plastered on anything you could think of <laughs> to include puffy shirts. Mm -hmm. Well, what today's kids might not be aware of the fact that um geek culture was not really a thing back then. You didn't go around wearing your favorite Disney shirt or your favorite Star Wars shirt in public. It was, it was something that was very, you would have to go to a niche shop somewhere and maybe find a shirt that said that on it. So to be, to be faced with something in a store like that was, was just great. I it is interesting to me. Sorry, go ahead, dude. No, 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 please. 
Go ahead. Uh, it is interesting to me the the type of souvenirs that amusement parks um, <laughs> offer. I, I've got several that I thought were like you. Oh, I have to have that, and then bring it home, and you're like, "What was I thinking?" Exactly. <laughs> well, the it, it was just like I said, it was so cool, and like to be able to buy Star Wars stuff because sure. you know nowadays you can go into Coles and buy Star Wars. You can come <laughs> yeah. every store. I mean, Bed Bath and Beyond has. Right. Star Wars stuff for your bathroom. You know, I mean, you could buy Star Wars anything soap in the dispenser. late 80s. Yeah, a soap dispenser. Absolutely. The late 80s, you couldn't do that. And to, to further your point, Tony, I always say I was a Star Wars geek before Star Wars geeks were cool. That's and, right. You know, I mean, it was almost like you, you would maybe kind of get made fun of or something. You if would, you were yes. wearing a Star Wars shirt or something because it it really wasn't, you know, cool then. And it's obviously that geek was not now. cool, now. right? Yeah, being a geek or being a nerd was not cool. It's very cool now. It's it's it's, yep. it's, it's yep. acceptable and, and even admired, which uh, works well for me because I'm <laughs> I'm an old school Star Wars to geek. So uh, very, that's a really good point, Tony. That's good stuff. And your your puffy Star Tour shirt may have had you targeted for getting picked on at that time, right? Well, it was between, well, thankfully I wasn't picked on, but it was between that and the, uh, whatever that, that, the, the, uh, the fanny pack that I was wearing at the time. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're and trying that, to make a comeback too. That, that, well, at the time it, it, I was convinced by, by a lady friend that I had that it would look great and you'd be able to carry all your stuff in it, which actually it did. I was able to put my glasses and my wallet all in there and not worry about it when it threw in the ride. But I want to look at the pictures now. I'm like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? <laughs> Tony, there's no denying that a fanny pack is utilitarian. That it, it is useful. Now, if, the, if, if photographs of having worn a fanny pack still exist, they those photographs may not age well but <laughs> it was uh it was a handy device you certainly could make good use of it well you know and speaking about uh how geekdom was not really accepted believe it or not i had incidents like that in disney world uh there was one time that i had gone there for what i was going to talk about it later but star wars weekends and i went to go buy my ticket and the the ticket counter lady said to me are you sure you want to go into the park today? There's going to be a lot of Star Wars people around. And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm here. And you're like, hey, lady, I am Star Wars. That's people. right. That's right. <laughs> and, and another time I walked through the park, uh, this was back in 2007. I had a shirt that had all of the characters on it on my back. And on the front, it said it was uh, it was from Celebration. At the back of it said Star Wars is forever. And this is back before Disney owned Star Wars. And the only connection here was Star Tours, I suppose. But I, I wore that one day to the Magic Kingdom and I was getting all of these weird looks from people with goofy hats and, and other weird looking <laughs> things. <laughs> like, what are you looking at me weird for? You know, Star Wars? Why are you wearing Star Wars? You know? So uh, it, it was kind of odd. But uh, at, at, believe it or not, even this goes even as far as last year when I went to Galaxy's Edge, as uh, I was just kind of like this. I was kind of bounding um, for the, uh, the area. And uh, as I'm exiting the 
the the Galaxy's Edge area, heading into uh, the rest of MGM uh, of Hollywood Studios. I'm still used to calling it MGM Studios. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to call it anything other than that. But, I, I uh, do the same thing, Tony. I I say MGM. MGM. Even, like when we're there, I'll say MGM, and I'm like, uh, I mean the studios. Exactly. <laughs> but but as I was leaving Galaxy's Edge. Uh, I overheard some guy walking around saying to somebody on the phone, I don't know, there's so many Star Wars freaks around. <laughs> okay, all right, dude. I'm one. I've got my card in my pocket, no less. But uh, I'm a card-carrying Star Wars geek. Um, but anyway, the, the Endor Vendors uh, was refurbished in 1999 uh, during the release of the first Star Wars pre- prequel, the, the Phantom Menace. And it was renamed... Tatooine Traders, and it was given this new uh, outlook that looks like something from the planet Tatooine, kind of an early precursor to what they would eventually do in uh, in Galaxy's Edge with uh, with Batu. But uh, it, it was more of an exotic look to the area and a, a nice little expansion. I was fortunate enough to have made my first trip to Disney early on in the existence of this ride, and it was the very first Disney ride that. I ever experienced. And so during my subsequent trips to Florida in the 1990s, in which I mostly made to visit my sister and her family who had moved there, Disney MGM Studios became my most frequented and favorite Disney park at the time. I really loved the idea of writing the movies and experiencing the excitement of this real but fake Hollywood studio setup. So there was never a time at that period that I visited Disney MGM Studios without visiting Star Tours. And there were other experiences that I had there that made this a favorite as well. Uh, One of them, which is the reason that I I chose this ride as my favorite, is because of the experiences that I've had there, uh, was in 1997, in order to honor the 20th anniversary of the original Star Wars movie release, Disney began hosting a festival, which was known as Star Wars Weekends. And um, Beginning in 2000, it became more of an annual event that featured in-person appearances by some of our favorite actors from the films, including people like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and David Prowse and Billy Dee Williams and Anthony Daniels. And even later, uh, as it went on, stars from the prequels and from the Clone Wars uh, television series. And actually, as a side note, if you'd like to see some videos that I shot during my visit during the, to the Star Wars weekends, including rare footage of, of people like Jake Lloyd and David Prowse, you can also head on over to my personal website or I'll share some of those here as well because they're Disney related and I, and I think you might be interested in seeing some of that stuff. Uh, there was something called, it was called the Hyperspace Hoopla, which was a goofy send up party featuring uh, two hosts that would bring out each of the Star Wars characters to come out and eventually it turned into a, a, a see who can dance kind of thing where Chewbacca would dance and the stormtroopers would dance. It was just a, a festive, fun, goofy thing that would um, just enhance the excitement and the feeling that that Star Wars is not always something serious. It's actually something you can have fun at and enjoy. And, and for me, it was a lot of fun to see how the generations of Star Wars were beginning to take shape during that period, because I'd look in the crowd and, and there were people as young as three to people as old as in their 70s or 80s, all taking part in this, in this fun event. And uh, as, uh, as another side note, uh, Dewey uh, once contacted me from 
uh, Star Wars Weekends live. Uh, I was working on another podcast and he did a remote in call live from Star Tours Weekends, which I also might share here as well, unless we do uh, another show specifically about Star Wars Weekends. But uh, I think it, it might be fun to listen to what we talked about. I think it was about 10 to 12 years ago, more than 10 years ago. It has to be like maybe 15 years ago, something like that. Well, I remember when you guys did that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. It has to be, I mean, gosh, you figure. 2006 man, or 2007, maybe. Probably so. It's it's at least 10 years ago, maybe yeah. more. Um, but it was, I, I, I was down there for a trip and you were working on your, I don't know if you were working on a documentary, one of your documentaries. No, it was a, it was a Star Wars related podcast. I your podcast. Yeah. And, you know, you and I had known each other from the, the Disney board. So you, you, you reached out to me and said, would you want to, I know you're down there. Would you like to do a, a little interview, you know, right from Star Wars Celebration? And, you know, of course I jumped on it because that was super cool. Uh, but yes, absolutely. I think Star Wars Weekends is probably big enough and cool enough that we should probably do an episode all about Star, Star Wars Weekends at some point. Because I know I've attended Star Wars Weekends probably five or six times or so. Uh, I don't know if yeah, you guys can too. see it. it there. Maybe right. we should go down for the Star Wars weekend and record the episode there. That would be well, great. I don't think they have them anymore, though. Yeah, they don't. Now that Galaxy's Edge is oh, there, they don't do they Star did. Wars weekends. Mm-mm. They they stopped that uh, around the time they purchased yeah. Lucasfilm. About, about that time. Fourteen. I don't know if you can see it right here above my shoulder, but it's behind my weight bench there. But that's a that's a big poster on the wall. That's actually a poster from uh, it's one of those limited edition things from the 2006 Star Wars weekends nice. right there. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's got the, you guys remember the, the Mickey hat that was the centerpiece yeah. at, uh, at the end of the street. It, they're standing. It's, it's Darth Vader and Yoda are oh, yeah. fight, fighting lightsaber dueling in front of the hat and everything. So That's cool. uh, I'll take a picture of it, Tony and let in, so you can drop it into the video later, but uh, it's actually a really cool poster. So, but yeah, we, I've, do remember recording that for you for your for your Star Wars podcast way back when it's it's got to be 10 12 15 years ago I think I'm, it I'm was, not sure it, it must have been 15 years ago because it was two, I think it was that 2006 trip but uh you know you just reminded me by saying that one of the, the best things for me during that period was being able to go to the park during those weekends and see how many people were interested in what was my favorite movie it was it, you don't really get that interaction just like we're doing this show about Disney uh, amongst each other, uh, you, d- you didn't really get that interaction with people who were as interested in Star Wars at the time. So it was fun to get this gathering where everybody there was into this and having such a, a great, a great, great time. And uh, I also have a lot of fond memories of bringing people onto Star Tours, the ride itself. The reason I mentioned Star Wars weekends as a side note is that the um, a lot of the attractions that took place for Star Wars weekends, including Jedi training for the young kids, which eventually became an actual thing in the parks. Um, And the dance and the celebrity meetups were all held right underneath the AT&T. And another good thing is because this is, we're talking about the modern 2000 era, I actually have video footage of this, which I can share as I'm speaking. So you can actually see what it is I'm talking about. But uh, one of the reasons that this ride is my favorite is that I just love the imagination of the queue, uh, the use of the John Williams music in the, uh, 
in the area as you're waiting adds to the sensation that you're heading into Star Wars. The Seeing the characters, running into them, interacting with them to some extent, being able to see the robots in person interacting with each other. That's just, for me, I, I sometimes I would, at the end of a day at, at Epcot Center, I would ask, I'm sorry, not Epcot, at the end of the day at MGM, I would ask the cast member if I could just walk in real quickly, because usually toward the end of the day, Star Tours is kind of empty. You can go on a few different times if you want to. So I would ask, can I just go in and take a look? And I just would walk in and just stand there and watch the robots interact for a little bit because it was surreal to me. I mean, as you can tell, C-3PO has always been my favorite character and seeing him there live was amazing. And another reason that the ride is a favorite is because it was created by classic Imagineers as well as key figures at Lucasfilm. You can't ask for and George Lucas himself, you can't ask for a better pedigree than that because we've got people like Tony Baxter and, and Tom Fitzgerald, as well as Dennis Muren, who was responsible, the Academy Award-winning uh, special effects creator for so many films. This, uh, another thing are the sights and the smells and the sounds of the area. It's, it all feels uh, authentically Star Wars and has done that even before Batu was created. And, and at one point, there were also some actual prop ships from the movies that were set out in front of the studio set alongside the Imperial Walkers. I believe it was this, the Snow Speeder and the Jab, one of Jabba's skiffs were set out right in front there. And uh, one, one of the interesting things that I found when I was doing some research on this and looking through my old photos, during my first visit, my nephew actually got to meet with Chewbacca. I didn't even remember that Chewbacca was even there way back then, but there he is walking around and, and the Ewoks also would make appearances from time to time, sometimes inside the ride in the waiting area as you were, as you were uh, standing in the queue. So in, in short, Star Wars was convincing, Star Tours was convincing, fun, funny, and it, most of all, it enabled me to experience my favorite movies in a, a unique way. And as I reported in another episode, I enjoyed this ride so much that it was that when it was refurbished and changed into the current incarnation, which is Star Tours, the adventures continue back in, uh, was it 2011 or 2012? Uh, I actually hadn't seen it uh, for about three years. I, I, I saw the, the final version that I enjoyed back in 2010, and then it went under renovation. So. I used up a $90 park ticket just to be able to ride it two hours before the park closed. And I, I went on it about three or four times. And I, I do enjoy the new version, but I haven't ridden, ridden it enough to give a formal review on it. So maybe we'll revisit that in a future show. But um, that is my Star Tours story and why it is my favorite ride at all, of all time. That's fantastic, Tony. Uh, I knew uh, you being a gigantic Star Wars fan, and and, and I, I share that love. I knew this was going to be a, a super fun episode. So, Ron, I know I know you're a fan. You're not as uh, you're not as big like put on the Star Wars costumes and dress up and walk around the place yeah, fan like we are. Right. But what yeah, are your? I'm not a super fan like you guys. I don't have a lot of memorabilia. A lot of stuff. <laughs> I can't say that word. Memorabilia. That's that is right. a tough word. I like he's just like memra memra. Mem I don't have a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't have a lot of when I was a kid, I even had pillowcases and sheets that were Star Wars. So there, it's a dare place for me, but it's not something that I continue to collect. But anytime there's an opportunity to watch it, I won't turn it down. And um, the, the interesting thing that uh, if you guys haven't watched the, the series, and I think you guys have, but yes. Um, the series on Disney plus that gives the backstory of some of the attractions is so interesting. And they did one on star tours and, you know, not to, but it was very interesting to me that it reminded, they reminded me that video was not, you know, developed yet. It was all film. Oh, right. Yeah. The the original star tours was on a film loop. Right. And that it wasn't just digital where you just plug it in and go. They had to develop a whole way of making this loop because there was you didn't want to take the time to rewind the film. So they did a loop where it just plays continuously. And so what I find interesting, though, is then that's true for all the rides on my first trip in 1976. Those were film, not video. So they... We're doing the same similar technology build. It just, again, reminded me how advanced Disney is in their development of what they do. And Star Tours is a perfect example of that. Awesome. Uh-huh. You, do you have a, a particular memory or uh, something you would like to reflect on about Star Tours? Anything like that? or or And if not, that's okay, too. No, I do. Re- I don't have... A, but it is something that we always ride when we go to studios and it just is a lot of fun. We've always enjoyed it. And, and it's just one of those neat rides. Awesome. Well, again, uh, not to steal your thunder, Tony, but uh, I, uh, this is one of my all-time favorite movies, movie franchises, all-time favorite rides. So I do have a few notes uh, just about my memories. I'm not going to go over the technical details. You, you killed it there. So we, oh, I'd love to hear it. Can't wait we've to covered it. that. So uh, I, I told you guys my first trip was in 1985. We went again in 1987. And then the next time we went, my third trip, we went in 1989. And the reason we made sure we went in 1989 was because that is the year that the, the Disney MGM Studios uh, opened. So we were super excited to, to attend a new park. And, you know, it opened in, I think it was May of 89. And we went in summer, probably June of, of 89. So that's typically when we took our, took our trips back then because, you know, school and stuff. So in 1989, our first trip there, we were really excited, like I said. And I can remember, you know, you come down the main street there and you never, again, remember 1989, there was no internet, so it's not like I could go on the internet and find out opening day or anything like that. So I remember coming down that main strip and looking to the left, and you can see the building. And it's got, you know, like like Tony said, the, the gigantic AT-AT is standing out there in front of the show building. And there's a, a huge b- mural of the, I guess you could call it the movie poster of the attraction. And I saw that. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, Star Wars ride. You know, I was so excited. So we, you know, immediately start hanging out 
and or, or he heading that way. And as I get closer, you know, in my head, I'm not really putting two and two together yet, but I'm notice I'm not I'm noticing that that's weird. How come there's not a line where how come nobody's trying to get into Star Tours? I'm going to be the first one. And then it's almost like that Clark Griswold thing. You get up to the <laughs> moose and it says, sorry, folks. So I get up there closer to Star Tours and, you know, the sign says opening 1990. And I was like, uh. But it's 1989. It can't open in 1990. So I was devastated that Star Tours was not open yet. So, you know, I, I, I spent, I don't know how long I spent just standing there, you know, looking up at the ad at, and uh, I probably had tears running down my face. I was like, <laughs> I want to ride Star Tours, you know, but it was 1990. It wasn't open yet, but I can remember just how devastated I was that it wasn't 1990 and the sign was telling me that, you know, you're not riding it today. So finally we, uh, we came back for another trip and I'm, I'm still going through all of our, all pictures and stuff. I'm not sure if it was 1990 or 1991 was my next trip. Still trying to figure that out. I'm, I'm actually in the process of trying to make a list of all of my trips. So I know it was somewhere between 90 and 91. So, but when we did go back, I finally was able to ride the attraction. I was able to, you know, walk through the doors, walk beneath the ad at. And the first thing you see up top when you walk through that opening is a couple of the Mon Calamari, you know, the Admiral Akbar spe species. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're up there like in the viewport and you can see them, they're moving around doing their Star Wars stuff. And, you know, it, it just blew me away. I was like, oh my gosh, there's, there's Admiral Akbar, you know, super cool. And then you walk around and that room opens and there's a full scale speeder. And, and I know Tony, you said it's the Star Speeder 3000. That's what it was called for the original, uh, the original attraction. And R2 is in the port the astromech droid port and he's bouncing up and down and you know his head spinning and stuff and 3po standing there in the at this computer panel and you know he's moving in his anthony daniels kind of way and everything and i i was just blown away i mean right there in front of me almost close enough to touch is r2d2 and c3po yes and just absolutely amazing. And I can remember, and now as excited I was as I was to ride that ride, I can remember standing there at the rail and saying, you can go ahead and go, you can yeah. go ahead and go, you can go ahead and go and letting people go by me because I was just watching 3PO and, you know, he would do. It was a lot little, of fun to watch. Yeah. Like oh I said, I would, I would come in at, at the end of the day, just look at him. Yes. I just. I don't, I don't, I don't know, have any idea how long I stood there and watched that 3PO and R2 interaction, but, but I remember letting people go and, you know, cause I'm not leaving yet. I'm still watching this. Y'all go ahead and y'all can go, y'all can go. And it's just super cool. And, you know, gosh, it's, it was just amazing to, to, I mean, to be in the same room with Star Wars characters, you know, so cool. So go ahead. No, I was just going to say, eventually Disney found a way to incorporate their own Fab Five into this by creating Jedi Mickey, who is represented back here. And uh, I believe they did a couple of the others. I, I don't think I visited the parks when they did any of the others. <laughs> there's there's a 2004's uh, Jedi, Jedi Mickey stuff plush there. Uh, 
pretty sure that was a gift from you, Tony, wasn't that's it? That's right. Didn't yes. You send me that? Yes. It did, yeah. So that's pretty cool. So, yes. Um, so wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> Do we got a Star Wars gift and I didn't get a Star Wars gift? <laughs> I can tell you, uh, first of all, I'm cooler than you. But second of all, <laughs> uh, Tony actually sent that to me. I was deployed overseas. Oh, uh, wow. I, I was That's still cool. I was still in the Air Force back then. And yeah. I was deployed overseas. He actually sent that to me. Um, uh, I'm not going to either confirm or deny that I slept with Jedi Mickey <laughs> at nighttime. I, that is neither confirmed nor denied. But uh, that's why Tony sent that to me. Don't. Uh, that's a nice gesture. That's awesome. Don't get your feelings hurt, Ron. Oh, it was <laughs> Tony was trying to make me feel better for being being deployed overseas. So eventually I did actually tear myself away from the C-3PO animatronic and made it onto the ride. And, you know, for the ride itself, for late 80s, early 90s technology, it was cutting edge, like just could not be matched anywhere else and to be inside the simulator inside that speeder and then you know really immersed in to star wars you know star wars has a look to it you know the way that the technology from star wars looks it's it's supposed to be space technology but it's also sp supposed to be in a galaxy far far away that was a long time ago so it's supposed to look old and used and that's how that's how Star Wars looks. And this ride, this attraction vehicle looks like that. You know, I mean, when you sit down in it, you you know, you're in Star Wars. It's it's unmistakable. So it's amazing to be inside that star speeder as a if I'm trying to do math, which I'm not good at in 90 or 91. I was probably say I graduated high school 92. So I would have been like 16 years old or something around this time. So you know, I, I realistically, I was still a kid and I certainly felt like a kid in a candy store sitting in that star speeder, you know, absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, the view screen, it opens up and you see Rex there and, you know, you see the, it's like, I remember the first the time that, that, that the, when the view screen screen opened, I kept thinking to myself, is that, is he really there or is he just another projection? And he wasn't, it was an animatronic. Was really there. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. I mean, everything blew you away. So uh absolutely it was a use of ride. all the different disney technologies that they had at the time uh, creating a, 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 a visual cue that was pleasing for people to wait in as well as using the animatronics using the movies using the new technology using a little bit of everything that they that they had and the music it was the really the precursor to what we see now in galaxy's edge where you are you're not riding an attraction you are immersed in into that world where you are you're no longer in florida you're no longer in a theme park you are in a galaxy far far away and i mean and they they really they really killed it the ride was amazing so then you get off the ride and uh, i like tony i like how you you definitely described the uh the indoor vendors you know you come down the ramp and when you come around the corner you see you see darth vader behind that cage and you guys know that uh, that i'm a member of the the 501st mm -hmm. and everything so now you know uh i'm friends with people that have darth vader costumes mm -hmm. i see them all the time but in 1990 or 91 the 501st wasn't really a thing so and you you didn't see costumes in person you know like you couldn't just walk up and see darth vader or 3po or or stormtroopers or whatever 
So to come down that ramp as you're getting out of Star Tours and coming into indoor vendors and you see Darth Vader there, life-size, you know, costume standing there again almost like i stood there looking at 3po i remember i think i had my fingers in the cage and i was like oh my gosh it's darth vader you know i was freaking out <laughs> i'm trying to remember did they also have a breathing effect going on in it there? did um unfortunately like some other things in in disney that has come and gone uh, at some point the the breathing stopped and they just didn't bother to fix it it's almost like the Yeti in Expedition Everest. They're like, it's really cool. It moves. Oh, wait, it's broken. So we'll just do a strobe light now. It kind of the same thing. Vader did. You did have that breathing. And I mean, it was it was a little intimidating. You know, it, it was, was really loud and it would breathe. And as you got closer, you would, it was like, oh, my gosh, Darth Vader is breathing at me. Super cool. So, yes, I, I'm glad you remembered that. So amazing that that Vader was there. And again, you know, you weren't allowed to touch it, but you were close enough to touch. You couldn't get your hand through the through the cage, but it was right there in your face. So I, I absolutely loved, uh, absolutely loved indoor vendors. We touched on in, when you were doing your synopsis about all the, the Star Tours and Star Wars merchandise that you could get there. I tried to find it before this episode, but I, I can't find it. It's packed up somewhere, but I still have my original it's one of those big glass almost like a it's not a coffee cup but it's like a pint glass or whatever for, oh, yeah. um, with the handle and it's one of those mirrored you remember back in the 90s they were really popular it was a mirrored uh pint glass with a handle on it stein maybe maybe mm -hmm. that's what it's called a stein and it's it's got the star tours logo on it i still have that it's it's in a box somewhere but again really cool that you could find the star tours logo and everything because you Star Wars nerds like me, yeah, there you go. They see the Star Tours logo right there. My wife actually got me this bank, which I started to save what I was going to go on my next Disney trip in there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fit enough coins in that thing to afford you a Disney try. trip. You <laughs> try. Get a souvenir or something. Even if gold, gold coins, maybe. Yeah, gold coins. <laughs> Even if you're saving the, the dollar coins in that thing, it, you're not going to save a Disney trip in that. But lots of cool stuff. Absolutely love that let that store in let vendors. me ask you a quick question uh since you had gone there uh, before it opened and I'm, i've been trying to remember this and even though i went on the ride count countless times i don't remember specifically but looking at my photos i was wondering about this the atat -AT in front the imperial walker it didn't always shoot smoke out of that out of its nozzle did it it um it when my when i went my first time it didn't do anything it was right. a static display I, I'm uh, looking at my photo. It looks like it's just a red light that's on there. The original time I went. At some point, and I don't know when, and I don't know when it stopped, but at some point it would light up and the sound effects would do the, the ad at sound device, you know, choo, 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 you know how, because those, those, those jaw uh, blasters move right. in the movies like this. So they would, they would emit some sort of smoke smoke, yeah. and it would choo, 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 and they would light up. I, I don't, it didn't do that my first time because, you know, they were still building the attraction and uh, it, it did eventually do that. And it, it now has, has kind of like the Darth Vader breathing in the corner, you know, it stopped m making those effects and, and Disney never fixed it. But you are correct. It did do that and did smoke and all that kind of stuff. Another weird thing that memory does to you is that I actually, because it's been a while since I've been able to go to the parks, I mentioned that. 
Um, but my wife and I were trying to dis were discussing the ride and we couldn't remember whether it had been 3D all the time. She was insisting, oh yeah, I always went on there with 3D. I said, no, 3D was only added after the adventures continue. It was not 3D before that. That's no, correct. I agree. That's correct. And great segue, Tony. I was going to roll into the adventures continue because, you know, the original idea is that, and even George Lucas talks about it in interviews, the original idea is that they were going to update it and add new film or add new scenes or something every couple of years. And as we know, it debuted in Disneyland in 87 in 1990 or the end of 89 in, in MGM studios. And it ran for 20 years and they never updated anything. So when the adventures continued did come, they went all out and they added the 3d and they added the, where it's in three segments. So you get like an opening segment, you get the middle segment where one of the characters, either princess Leia or Yoda or BB eight or somebody comes in and says, you're, you're selected for this mission. And then the third segment is where you end up going. And so now there's countless costs, countless possibilities of the adventure that you can take. And that is super cool. Uh, again, almost a throwback to that horizons back in the day at the end where you could pick your, pick the ending. You had three choices. Now the star, the star tours, the adventures continue has uh, again, I, you know, I don't, I don't math, so I don't know how many possibilities there are. I but think they stated it was 54. And, and that's a lot. I mean, dozens, dozens of possibilities. And, and sometimes you might get the same one. Sometimes you don't. I'll, I'll tell you, my wife actually asked me to mention that uh, when we were talking about, I was, I was writing these notes for, for this episode. She said, yeah, I know that there's a lot of, uh, possibilities but just make sure you mention that i get the same one every <laughs> single time and i was like so no, in normal trips uh i'll the family will ride it twice maybe but me being the star wars fanatic that i am i i'll usually jump on it five or six times uh during a trip so I've seen a, a bunch of those different variations, but she swears she gets Hoth every single time. <laughs> so uh, she wanted me to make sure that she mentioned that I mentioned that. So that, that was is funny. funny. And when you do want to get the same combination, you don't. I, I, I had seen a, a, the one that I did last year. There was actually a scene in The Rise of Skywalker, the very last Star Wars Disney film. It, it took us into, a, into the midst of that battle. And I wanted my wife to see that, but it took us a totally different way. And that's what's cool because of this, Ron, you alluded to it earlier. In the original, it was that looped film and, you know, like miles of film. So that is a gigantic undertaking to, to add or subtract film from that. So that's why it never got updated. Not to mention it was all of the physical sets and, and models and stuff is how they made that on actual film. Now with the, uh, you know, the introduction of, of all of the digital elements and everything, they can add and subtract, you know, like a snap of the finger. So it's no problem to add something. So as the, 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 the sequel trilogy has come online starting back in 2015 with The Force Awakens, they added a little bit. They added Poe and Finn and uh, General Hux is in one of them. And, and they added a few scenes from, from that movie. 
And then a couple years later, they add a little bit from The Last Jedi. And a couple of years later, they added a little bit from The Rise of Skywalker. And they and continued Batu as well. They've added absolutely a, a, a trip through Batu. I remember I heard, probably read online somewhere, that there was going to be a, like a sneak peek into Galaxy's Edge in one of the closing scenes mm -hmm. that you can now see on Star Tours The Adventures Continue. So yeah. uh, my son and I, we made it uh, our, our goal that trip. And we were going to ride it until we saw about two. <laughs> and uh, I, we got it on like the second or third time. So oh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Disney tweaks just a little bit and maybe takes away a little bit of that randomization yes. to make sure that the new stuff is seen a little bit more than all other things. Cause it didn't take us very many trips to see that new Batu scene, but I can remember that you, uh, you know, three PO lands, the, the the speeder and it's on Batu and you can see one of the uh one of the assassin droids which we know is either IG88 or if you're a Mandalorian fan you know IG11 there's one of those assassin droids standing there and outside of your speeder so we were really excited to see that addition of of Batu and what was coming from Galaxy's Edge well so speaking of which cool. you just reminded me that one of the cool things about the adventures continue is that my droid gets a starring role in that one and in, 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 in when the ride was upgraded c3po went from just being in the front to actually being your pilot in this one your harried nervous pilot uh in an animatronic that's right in front of you doing absolutely things, basically doing this but but still it was so cool to have him along for the ride with you but you know he does that classic 3po hand like you know hands yes. up you know he's like that surprise and so, you know, he's your accidental pilot. He's not supposed to be your pilot. So, yes, that's another really cool thing that they did to give you more uh, more face time with a classic character. So super cool. Uh, absolutely love the ride. Uh, Tony, you mentioned that when they released the prequels and they returned to the planet of Tatooine, they changed indoor vendors to uh, Tatooine traders. I'll tell you that uh, I was not a fan of that while it uh, it is really well themed it does look like you know Tatooine that you if you remember in the prequels in the Phantom Menace where the all those it's almost like stone hut apartment buildings where Anakin and his mom right. lived it looks like that I mean it's really well done but it always bothered me that you've got the the forest of Endor touching Tatooine and I'm like come on guys yeah that this didn't is, make much sense leave it indoor indoor you've got indoor trees and then tatooine buildings uh you know uh while it was well done i enjoyed indoor vendors more than i did you know enjoy the name of tatooine traders speaking but, of which now that that, that uh, disney mgm studios is no more and it became disney hollywood studios do you think they're going to stick with that studios motif in that park because the, the it, it when i was looking at the photos is when i noticed that the uh the Star Tours ride was designed in front of the studio building. And it reminded me that that's what the park was originally set up as. But nowadays, it's not really used as a studio. It's not really referred to as a working studio. So I'm wondering what they're going to do with that. You know, almost, it's probably been five years ago now. I don't know the exact date, but it's somewhere between three to five years ago. They actually announced that there was going to be a name change to mm -hmm. Disney's Hollywood Studios. It was going to be changed to something else. Here we are, like I said, three to five years later, 
they with the addition of Toy Story Land and the addition of Galaxy's Edge and the removal of anything that even resembled uh, a studio. You know, the backlot tour is gone and the, the magic of Disney animation is gone. So anything that- we've got to do a show about MGM Studios now that you're saying that. Absolutely. I was watching a video about Disney Studios in 1991, and I, I was like, I, I went on everything there. So. Yes, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I know we don't know what they're doing with the studios, and my guess is that they're not real sure what they're doing with the studios either. I, I don't know. They announced a name change way back when, and we're still waiting on that name change. Meanwhile, it's, it's really um, they, what they've done is well-themed, but it's kind of a hodgepodge. It is like, hodgepodge. Mickey's no... Runaway Railway and yes. Galaxy's Edge don't really have anything to do with each other. And But let's be honest. And y'all are going to get me on my classic Disney World soapbox. But the current culture of Disney, uh, I wouldn't say Imagineering. I think the Imagineers are still doing their job. They're still doing what they're supposed to be doing and creating amazing experiences. But the the current leadership of the disney company is not really concerned with cohesion they don't appear to be worried about making everything fit they what they seem to be more worried about is how can we slam a disney ip into an existing mm -hmm. space and that's more important to them than the overall story and we see that in at epcot now with Guardians of the Galaxy does not make any sense whatsoever in Epcot. It just doesn't. That makes more sense. Hey, you know where that might be good? It, too bad they don't have a, a, a theme park that's about movies. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> it, you know, it just doesn't make any sense there. Um, you know, so that's what's wrong with the studios. They've got amazing experiences, but they don't connect. You just you walk from Toy Story Land into Galaxy's Edge and you're like, OK, so now I'm in Star Wars world. That's great. It's really immersive, but there's there, it's no boundary. There's no why. Did, why did that happen? Why did we do that? That there's, boundary issue there is weird. It's yeah, it's just, you know, once you're inside the area, like if you're in Galaxy's Edge, you can't see or hear Toy Story Land. But when you look at the guide map and it's just like Toy Story and, and, and Galaxy's Edge and then here's Gertie, the dinosaur where you get ice cream, like we've lost that, that studio and where it made sense before and now it doesn't. So we're going off on a gigantic Yeah, we've got to do, we've got to do an MGM studio. Yes, so. certainly need to because there's a lot of work to be done to fix that cohesion. But the same thing's happening over at Epcot too, so get don't get don't get me started on that tangent so the last thing i'll say about star tours is and tony you mentioned it too star tours was like the headquarters for the star wars celebrations and i i went to many of those and i remember that it was just a gigantic star wars party and that was the absolute best just being able to before Galaxy's Edge, you would go there and you were you were immersed in Star Wars. And like that person you said you overheard uh, on their phone saying mm -hmm. that they were surrounded by Star Wars geeks. That was great for me. I was in my element. I actually absolutely loved being surrounded by Star Wars geeks. So that those are just some of my memories about Star Tours. Sorry, I got off on that 
Uh, I'm mad at MGM Studios. I'm mad at Epcot Tangent. Sorry about that. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a lover of classic Disney World, so I got distracted. My apologies. Tony, this is your show. This is your favorite attraction this week. So any closing statements, anything you want to want to end this segment with about Star Tours? Well, I, I just want to say that uh, I am happy that I had the opportunity to visit it when it was the original uh, show. And I'm glad that I've had some chances to see it as the new thing. And I can't wait to someday go back and try out some more of those 54 variations. I, 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 I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. That's good stuff. It, it is really cool that they, they managed to, to keep it. There's, they don't always do that. I'm always on board when they want to add a new attraction, but I wish they would just add a new attraction instead of removing one and replacing it. You know, last week we talked about Ron. Uh, Ron's favorite was Mission Space. Great ride. Mission Space is fantastic. They should have added it to Epcot Center instead of instead of removing Horizons and adding Mission Space. So, Tony, for your favorite, thank goodness they just updated it. They just, right. I guess you could say, plused it. You know, we still get to experience the, the 3PO animatronic, and that's super cool. I'm very thankful that they didn't just axe that attraction and, you know, make it another opportunity to, to see Anna and Elsa. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean it seems like everything is, is, is Anna and Elsa now. So well, I'm, I'm, sure sur it I'm surprised it's not Olaf driving the Star Speeder, but, you know, I'm glad we still have Star Tours there. So uh, great job, Tony. I really, Thanks. really enjoyed your 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 synopsis there. You're your leading us through that remembering star tours here so that was fantastic all right so let's move on to our second segment of the show this is a little thing we like to call what's happening now in walt disney world so this week photos surfaced online of additional golden celebration elements being placed within magic kingdom the first few of what disney is calling the fab 50 golden character sculptures popped up around the park and I've seen a few of them online. There's people, you know, uh, posting pictures and stuff. I've seen some, I've seen Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, Pluto, Donald, Daisy. And I think I saw Stitch also that have been, that have been deployed. They're actually in the park and they are on display. So you can go and take a lot of them around the hub area and, and you can take pictures of these, these new golden disney fab 50 statues so in that that name it's not just a clever name eventually there's going to be 50 of these these golden characters around uh, all four of the parks actually have you guys had a chance to see those any of those pictures or have you guys taken a look at some of those fab 50 characters yeah i've had the opportunity to um see a few of them it's it's gonna be a neat addition i, I like them a lot actually do you know how tall these are going to be? Do you know you know the the character statues that are around the hub and have been right. around the hub for a hundred years now? They're I don't know maybe maybe twenty four inches or so, uh, probably about the size of your oh, your, your Mickey statue back oh, there. The yes, sir, about that size. The ones that are always around the hub now they are gold, basically. They're new statues. They have they didn't just take the old ones and and paint them they're actually new sculptures and but they're all gold in celebration of you know 50 is the golden anniversary so 
they're they're really taking that that golden that that theme of golden and putting it uh, around the parks you know just like they they painted some of the spires of cinderella's castle they've got all those gold accents that's what these statues are i think if you watch the the disney parks video about the statues you'll see there they show you some silhouettes of some of the other characters that are be coming soon to the hub i actually did a little bit of uh digging when uh when i was preparing for this episode and I used uh, one of my favorite websites I always like to go to uh, is www.magic.com. And uh, it's a good place to find news and stuff like that. They're not a paid sponsor or anything like that. I'm just mentioning because I think they're great. They do a lot of good stuff there. But they've got some fantastic photographs of some of these statues. And they actually have a list of, of the 50 characters. And, you know, reading through them, it's just there's some Disney you know, old school stuff like Timon and Pumbaa and Bambi and Thumper, things like that. There's newer, newer Pixar characters like Nemo or Dory. And really cool. There's some Star Wars stuff. I've seen R2. I see a BB-8. But the couple, there's a couple of them that I'm most looking forward to. And I haven't seen pictures of these yet. But they're going to be uh, a couple of them that are, you know, back to my love of the old school stuff. There's going to be a figment one over at Epcot Center, and then there's going to be the Orange Bird. You guys remember the, yes. the character, the Orange Bird from the 70s? So they're doing the Fab 50 statues or sculptures for, for those two, for Figment and Orange Bird. So there's going to be 50 of them, but really excited, me personally, about those two, about Figment and Orange Bird. So those are going to be all around the parks. All four parks are going to have a few of those and it looks like the longest list is obviously in magic kingdom because you know they say the whole resort's turning 50 but in reality what's turning 50 is the magic kingdom and i guess the contemporary resort and the polynesian and uh, fort wilderness because those are the things that have literally been there for 50 years but all four parks are getting into the celebration so that's oh, pretty here's here's where i just i'm not the expert that you guys are with disney i did not realize polynesian was there since the yes. beginning yes when it when the walt disney world resort opened uh obviously only one theme park it was magic kingdom back then it was called the magic kingdom you know a few years ago they dropped the the for some reason so now it's just magic kingdom but back in 71 it was the magic kingdom so when it opened it was the magic kingdom and then you had the contemporary resort and you had the Polynesian Resort, and they were both on the monorail loop. And then you had the uh, the campground out there, Fort Wilderness Campground. Mm -hmm. So there were two, two of the hotels uh, on opening day. Well, actually not opening day. Polynesian was still a little bit behind. It didn't open on October 1st, but it was, uh, was already planned. It was already being built. It opened a few months later. But Polynesian was in the original plans. Absolutely. So... This, now, the statues are not the only things getting the golden treatment ramping up for the Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. I don't know if you guys have seen this either, but all the lampposts and the great big citizens, citizens watch, the clock that is on Main Street USA, are also getting makeovers. They're getting those golden makeovers. The golden, the clock has gone completely golden, like head to toe, basically, top to bottom. The, the whole lamppost is gold. But the lampposts are actually, you know, they're, they're that, uh, that dark green color. 
they're still that dark green color, but now they have golden spirals that go up. So it's green and gold. And then the very top of those lampposts are bright, shining gold now. So uh, adding a lot of the golden accents for the, the 50th anniversary is that golden golden anniversary. So adding a lot of those golden accents, just like they did on the castle. And what do you guys think? Are you, are you a fan of the gold or you are you don't really care either way it's just one one more addition makes it pretty what do you guys think you, you like the gold you don't like the gold you don't have an opinion on the gold whatsoever what do you guys think i i personally think that it's uh it's a lot of fun um i think they need to make this a grand celebration it's 50 years and that's how i've not seen i've seen that some of the statues and i think that's going to be an incredible addition i like the, that they didn't just take lampposts and make them gold. I think that would have been maybe a little bit of overkill, but the spiral and just adding some gold accent to it, I think it's going to be something I, I'm going to want to see. And sounds awesome. What about you, Tony? What do you think about the gold accents? Are you on board or are you indifferent? What you think? I think the castle is looking pretty decent. It looks, it looks very pretty. Uh, but uh, it, anything, I suppose, is an improvement to what they did back at the 25th anniversary, which everyone complains about. But uh, I, I noticed also that I was going to bring this up earlier that Ron and I in particular, Ron, you happen to have gone to Disney World or to the Magic Kingdom during its fifth year in operation. So apparently they didn't really think about celebrating anything that, like that at that point. And then I happened to have gone in 1991 that would be the 20th anniversary of the park. And I don't remember anything indicating that to any great extent. Um, I, I saw in one of the photos when I, I actually went back in the, uh, my initial trip was in May of 91. I went back again in the November of 91 for my niece's birthday. And I noticed in some of the photos, there seems to be some kind of plaque in front of the of the um, castle, but I don't think that they made a big deal about the fact that it was 20 years since the park had been open. I could be mistaken about that, but I don't really remember that. Um, but I know that when I went back in 1996-97, the castle was uh, Pepto-Bismol pink. <laughs> right. and, uh, now, Tony, I'm going to I'm gonna call you out here, sir. Yeah. Uh, you've obviously somehow been reading my notes ahead of time. No. You're, you're stealing my thunder, sir. I was going to ask you all about the birthday cake castle. Ah. I have it right here in my notes. And you you. So I'm going to ask you to stop reading my notes ahead of time. <laughs> these are these are top secret stuff. Got it. Sorry. You know, you know no. what they did to the castle, though, that I really didn't like. And I don't remember what it was a celebration for. But they put a big portrait of Cinderella in front of the castle. And I just thought it took so much away from the castle. And I was not, I really was not a fan of that one. Now, are you talking about now, right now for the, for the 50th celebration, they have the great big 50 and it's right above the, the tunnel, right? Are you talking about there was that portrait right above it? There now, was a portrait that they it, had on it was I think the, it was maybe even near our first trip as a family, which would have been back in early 2000. It was, I want to say probably around 2005, 2006. And it was actually, a, and I, it didn't make any sense to me either because it was a portrait of Cinderella's castle on Cinderella's <laughs> castle. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I, I didn't really get it either. I was like, okay, so there's Cinderella's castle. It's really pretty. So they put a picture of Cinderella's castle 
on Cinderella's castle. That one didn't make any sense to me either. Well, two thousand six would have been the twenty uh, the twenty fifth anniversary, thirty fifth anniversary, thirty fifth, thirty fifth. Yes, probably so. So uh, maybe that's what it was. So I, I'm with you, Ron. I didn't really get that one either. Uh, it was as just looking at the 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 picture itself, it was pretty, but it didn't really make any sense to me either that they would put a picture of the castle on the face of the castle. That seemed that seemed strange to me too. But the one thing that they did, and it seems to have stuck, that I absolutely loved, was when they put the draping of the uh, almost looks like ice draped over the castle for Christmas, oh, Christmas oh, for the time. holidays. Oh, yeah. Yes, love that. Absolutely, so, that's you beautiful. guys like those projections that they do nowadays. Yeah. The projections are amazing. Yeah. Uh, while I I prefer wishes to happily ever after. Uh, just probably again because I'm old and I'm nostalgic or whatever, but there's no denying how absolutely amazing those projections are. That stuff is okay, to cutting edge technology. Again, Disney's talk always does that. But yeah, I was going to say, where's the birthday cake castle, y'all? That's that's what I was going to say. You know, they 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 did it up with the pink castle on the 25th anniversary, but apparently. Uh, my, my boy Tony here is not a fan of the birthday cake castle. He likes well, the gold accents more than the, the Pepto-Bismol yeah. castle. I, I yes. do like the, 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 uh, the classic way it looks now. Uh, I don't really, I didn't really have an issue so much with the, with the pink castle because at the time, I think that was the first time I had bought a three day park pass back in, in the nineties. And I started to visit Disney world more often and started to make trips into the magic kingdom so the first time that i started to do that and spend the day at the magic kingdom was during the time of that pink castle and it was something to look at i know people just don't like it and i'll share some of my own personal photos of it it, it was a unique sight you're what you wondered at first was this the way it's going to look for the rest of eternity is it going to look like this gigantic birthday cake now they actually did and it, i think some people were a little bit worried when they started making when they first began the the changes to Cinderella's castle for ramping up for this 50th celebration you guys have probably seen it it's not all the whole the whole castle is not all that slate gray color anymore mm -hmm. that it's actually painted salmon or kind of pink and and I know people were probably losing their minds they're like they're doing the birthday cake castle again and you know they obviously didn't do that they did just do some a little bit different colors of that that pinkish color and then added all the gold accents. What do you guys think about that? Do you like the the where it's not gray, the entire castle is not gray anymore? What do you guys think about just that minor change? I, I really uh, I mean, it's fine. I'm not put out terribly by it, but I I do think that when you start changing a an icon like that, that people don't get to come to to this park as much i mean if obviously if you live in florida you get to make that trip all the time and so seeing these changes aren't that impactful but if you don't get to come but what every two every four or five years you kind of look forward to seeing the icons that you grew up with and and to come in to see major change especially a cupcake <laughs> I, I, multi-layered people would be very disappointed by that because i know that when i enter the magic kingdom one of the first things i want to experience is looking down main street and seeing the castle at the end of the street and in its glory and i'm I, i'm 
I've seen pictures of the cupcake. I'm glad I didn't experience that in person. I don't think I would have enjoyed it. I did experience it in person. And uh, you, I've already told you guys that I'm a frequent visitor. I don't live there yet, but I am a frequent visitor. So I wasn't upset that it was different. It was actually a, a neat thing for me because it was, it was different. So I actually enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm not particularly upset about the way it's painted now. I think it looks better all gray than it does with the, the, the pinkish colors that it's got on it now. But I don't hate it. I'm not mad at it. It's uh, it's still pretty. It's still Cinderella's Castle. And I still I do like the gold accents on it. I think that makes it uh, kind of fancies it up a little bit. You know, it makes it look regal or whatever. So I think it looks pretty impressive for the fact that it's going to be its 50th anniversary. I, I think it, it looks really nice and and distinguished, although I do prefer the look that Ron's got behind his screen there. Uh, that's the classic castle that we all do remember. And uh, Ron, to your story about your uh, infrequent visits, when my wife and I made our trip to Disneyland, uh, one of those once in a lifetime things, because we're coming all the way from, from the New York area, uh, the, they were pre preparing in, in 2007 for the 50th anniversary of Disneyland. So when we got there, we couldn't wait to see the castle amongst everything else and it was all covered up in scaffolding i mean entire almost the, the whole front of it was completely blocked off by the scaffolding that they were doing to prepare it for the 50th anniversary and that was very disappointing because any photos that we have in front of the castle have this scaffold in front of it so it, it, it is disappointing when you make your visit there your infrequent visit to someplace like this and it's not what you expect it to be Look, that's got to be way worse than a birthday cake Pepto-Bismol yeah. castle is to yeah, go there and it's covered with, I know they do those gigantic tarps that, mm -hmm. and they've painted the castle on it. Yes. They try to make it as, as minor an impact as possible, but you get there and you're like Cinderella's castle, or you're there and you're like, look at Sleeping Beauty's cat. It's a picture of Sleeping Beauty's castle. So that's, yeah, that's big. That's, a, that can be a big disappointment. So that's awesome. The same when they do, they refurbish rides and you've not done your research and you get there and the ride's closed that you don't get to. Yeah, experience. absolutely. So that was great. Uh, great information there on the 50th celebration and some of the decorations that are coming. Look here, guys, I'm, and I am currently 47 years old. So, and the year 2024 will be my 50th birthday. I'm actually considering uh, draping myself in golden spirals. <laughs> I'm going I'm to have golden spirals somehow incorporated <laughs> into my look for my 50th anniversary. So uh, I, I, we're, I hope we're still doing the podcast by then. So be waiting, be ready to see some golden spirals incorporated into my look for my 50th anniversary, inspired by Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. Well, All right. You just made me think of something. Uh, I, I, I'm sure uh, our, our viewers wondering why us grown men are sitting here talking uh, waxing poetically about this uh, theme park. But just out of curiosity, have e any of you ever celebrated your birthdays at Disney World? I have. I've been, look, I've been there for just about everything. Again, you know, I've told you guys I've been there for on 48 trips. So I've been there for Halloween, Christmas, New Year's, um, Easter, birthdays, anniversaries. You know, I, I've been there for just about everything. It's it's almost the exact opposite. Like those are magical and it's really good to be at Disney for those things. But uh, because of my military career, uh, I've also been you know deployed 
for all of those things as well. I've missed Christmases and New Year's and birthdays and anniversaries because of, you know, serving overseas. So it's, it's the exact opposite to be able to celebrate those things in the parks is, uh, let me tell you, it's better to be in the park on Christmas than it is to be in Baghdad, Iraq mm. on Christmas. I Absolutely. do very much prefer uh, Disney World than, uh, you know, Baghdad. No offense to Baghdad, but I had more fun at Disney. What about you, Ron? I, I we So we've definitely celebrated the girls' birthdays and and we've even maybe done that when it wasn't their birthday, just so that they could experience um, their birthday at Disney. But um, it was either Madison or Brooke that actually had their birthday on the day at Disney. And it, it just made it really special. Of course, I told the story where we celebrated Brooke's 18th birthday there. Um, so that was extremely magical. And then, um, but it does surprise me that the busiest day of the year for Disney is Christmas day. That's, that's still just amazes me that, that that's the busiest day. I've never been in the park on Christmas day. I've been there on the 26th, but I've never actually gone into the park on Christmas day. And just because you know, one, I typically spend time with family on that right. uh and uh and and two it's just so crowded really all you're doing is you're just experiencing it you're you're probably not going to get on many many attractions i have been there on uh new year's eve and that was pretty cool getting to they they hand out the hats and it says you know happy new year and that kind of stuff oh, no, that's kind of cool so that was kind of fun and um but it, it it's i i enjoy just being there during those times you don't have to be there on the day just, I mean, you guys know they celebrate Halloween at Disney starting in August. They've already started. You know? Yes. So, uh, you know, so they they give you plenty of opportunities to experience a holiday. Uh, so you don't have to be there on the day. But that's a good question, Tony. Uh, well, the reason, I, I, the reason I asked is I celebrated my 40th birthday back in Disneyland. My wife and I were trying to think of something different to do. And we happened upon the idea of Disneyland. And that was, it was fun. And even at the, at the Magic Kingdom, I, I took my dad there for his birthday and they gave us these buttons that you wear around the park. And as you walk around the park, everybody's stopping you and saying, oh, happy birthday, happy birthday. He found Absolutely. that to be such a thrill. He, he loved that people, random people just come up to him and say happy birthday. It makes you feel like you're the star of the show. Yes, you know, definitely. Like happy yeah. birthday. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, that's awesome. So that wraps up the what's happening now in Walt Disney World segment. Let's move on to segment three. This is what's your favorite. As you guys remember, this is an established part of our podcast every week where one of our three hosts takes two things from Disney or Marvel or Star Wars or the theme parks or anything that can be related to Disney and gives the other two hosts the opportunity to answer which one of those two things is our favorite. The two hosts that answer the questions do not know what's coming, so we have to answer it on the spot. This week, Tony, you're taking the what's your favorite question. So, Ron, it's time for us to give it a go. What do you got, Tony? What is this week's what's your favorite? Right, this week on what's your favorite, we've got a question that actually has a potential of four different answers. Oh so, my goodness. And it should be kind of easy. Uh, I was wondering what's 
your favorite. Do you, what's your favorite time of year to go to Disney World? What season is your favorite? Would it be spring, winter, summer, or fall? That is a great question. So who do you want to go first? You call on us, Tony. We haven't heard much from Ron today. So how about Ron? Awesome. Uh, this is actually pretty easy for me. Um, I love, there's not been a time, obviously, that I've been to Disney that I don't enjoy being there. Um, summer is probably my least favorite just because of the heat and the crowds. Though crowds are becoming, there's really not a great lull time to go. Um, winter is my absolute favorite and and more specifically christmas um disney does christmas incredibly well um and it was a just some really awesome memories we went it probably worked out best we didn't know this but we went the week between right after thanksgiving and basically the first week of december and the crowds were non-existent you could walk on rides um we went to the extra was it mickey mickey's very merry christmas party after the park closed and that just was so much fun and and um it's just so decorated and it's just that magical time of year anyway and to be at disney on top of that um, that's my favorite time to go. What about you do? All right. So this one is in a slam dunk. This one is so incredibly easy for me to answer because like you guys, uh, you guys know that I'm originally from Arkansas. I'm a, I'm a Southern boy. Uh, I, I grew up in the heat and the humidity. I dig that. I absolutely hate winter. I hate it. I I'm talking it's one of my, the worst things in my life is experiencing winter. And I have lived in Delaware. Uh, thank you, United States Air Force. I have lived in Delaware for 20 years now. I got here in June of 2000. It is now September of, I'm sorry, June of 2001. And it's now September of 2021. So I've been here 20 years uh, winter lasts for like nine months here. Uh, to me, winter means below 65. If it's below 65, I am angry, violent, and grumpy. And I I'm just not a happy person when it, uh, when I'm, when it's below 65, I'm not happy. So my answer, my favorite time to go to Disney World is the winter time because I can escape the cold, dreary, dismal nine month long winter that I experience here in Delaware. And I can take off my North Face jacket and my long underwear <laughs> for a, a, an amazing week long oasis in Florida during the winter. And I can pull out my dad cargo shorts and my flip-flops, and I can love me some 80 degrees in winter <laughs> in Florida 
experiencing Disney World, that's a no-brainer, Tony. Going to Disney in the wintertime when I can escape the cold and enjoy the warmth, I absolutely love it. So it's winter for me. That's fun. That is so fascinating. So it's interesting. We've gotten uh, winter and for both of you then, right? Finally, Ron, look. This we might, agree. Oh, my gosh. This might be the first time you've ever Maybe. been right. Oh, oh, is that what this was? Listen, you can either agree with me or you can be wrong. Your choice. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's America. It's a free country. You can choose. You can either agree with me or be wrong, whichever one. So <laughs> nice work, Ron. You were correct. What about you, Tony? Uh, for me, it was always the fall believe it or not. I used to partially because my birthday falls in the fall, falls in the fall. But uh, I love that time of year. I, I used to escape every October to uh, to the Disney area. And it was a quiet time at the park back in the day. It wasn't as crowded. The weather was not as hot and not as cold as it would be. And you'd still get those hot, sticky days that I'd spend at the water park. But it was basically pleasant enough to walk through. Uh, when I was traveling with my family, we used to make trips in May, and it was similar weather, but I prefer the fall. I, I do enjoy the fall, too, again, because it's it's getting cold up here in Delaware in the fall, so I can still enjoy the warmth down, it was down an in escape. Florida. So it is, uh, I would say fall is probably my second favorite because I can still escape the cold. So mm -hmm. that's awesome. Great, great question on what's your favorite this week, Tony. That's that's a first for us having four available options. Uh, I, that could have been difficult. It actually turned out to be the easiest question I've ever been answered, ever been asked. So that was great. Thank you, Tony, for this week's What's Your Favorite? And that just about does it for this episode of the WDW Reflections podcast. Please go and follow us on all of our social media accounts. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at WDW Reflections Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at WDW Reflections. This podcast can currently be found and played on the following podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. And as we grow, we'll let you know where else we can be found. If you love the show, please leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts. Those positive feedbacks help the show reach a larger audience and helps us grow. And don't forget, you can always message us from any of those social media accounts, or you can email us at wdwreflectionspodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions, comments, tips for navig navigating the theme parks, ideas for future podcast topics, or anything else you can think of. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and please keep coming back. See you real soon. Video highlights from this program are available weekly on YouTube at WDW Reflections Podcast. Thanks for listening.